welcome to I'll Marry You, a podcast with me, Olivia Coleman, full of tips and tricks from the UK wedding scene, interviews with industry experts, and a whole lot of oversharing. Good day, happy Tuesday, happy Tuesday. Is it? Is it a happy Tuesday? I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I'm recording this from holiday, somewhere hot. Don't hate me because I know that in the UK at the moment, the storms have been outrageous. So I apologise, but I'm in Cyprus with my family and it is very, very warm. Very, very warm. It's weird though, because it's like November and it's hot. I know, first world problems. Um, Anyway, so I hope you've had a wonderful week. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode. Um, This week, um, we've got a pre-recording of a wedding I officiated at and also attended because it was my cousin's wedding, which was amazing and interesting and exciting. So I'm really looking forward to um, telling you all about it. But while I've got you, a little change of pace, I must say. It has been just over a week since Matthew Perry passed away, the actor who played Chandler in Friends. I don't know how old you are, listener, I don't know what generation you're in. I know that some of my friends who are in their 50s and 60s listen to this podcast. And I know that my brides and grooms listen to this podcast who are in their 20s. I'm mid-30s, believe it or not. Um, so I, I grew up watching Friends. And I know that it is still, to this day, one of the biggest TV programs that has ever been made. And it is just timeless. And I, I literally, the 10 years that it was on was when, was my teenagers. It's when I grew up and they really did feel like our friends. And I remember watching the very last episode and I was at school and we all watched it and we just couldn't stop crying because it, it really felt, well, I'm getting teary now. It really felt like it was it was the end of something. And these people that we had lived with in our living rooms, in our hearts and in our minds for so long had gone. They'd just suddenly gone. I mean, luckily, it's repeated every bloody moment of every day, isn't it, on every channel. And a lot of my friends now, actually, weirdly, a lot of them, will watch old reruns of Friends every night before they go to sleep. It's like a comfort. It was just the most incredible thing. And Matthew Perry is a wonderful person. And he wrote a memoir called Friends, Lovers and the Big Terrible Thing. And it was released earlier this year. And so I bought it um, earlier this week when we got to the airport. They had one copy left, so I bought it. And I was like, come on, Liv, you're going on holiday with your toddler. Like, you ain't going to read, sister friend. The only thing you're going to read is the back of the cereal box. (laughs) But I thought, we're going with my in-laws. Like, there might be a chance, maybe in the evenings when Lola's asleep, I can actually read a book. So I brought the memoir from Matthew Perry and I knew buying it after he passed would be different. Reading it then would be different to reading it when it first came out earlier in the year. I've just finished it. And for those who don't know, he was riddled with addiction. He was a drug addict and an alcoholic and he had such a turbulent life. And what's interesting, if you are a big fan of Friends, if you've seen all the series, he he sort of quite openly says, you know, when I'm fat, I was on alcohol. When I was skinny, I was on drugs. When I was skinny with a moustache, I was really on drugs. So he he literally, in this book, and he said it before in interviews and things, 
he he will illustrate exactly how bad his addictions were whilst he was recording Friends. And whilst 15, 16, 17-year-old me was watching it, never, never in a million years would you know it or think it. But he was very, very troubled. And as I'm, I'm pre-recording this um, intro a couple of days before this, this episode comes out, so I'm, it might, things might have changed by then, but at the moment... I don't think there's been an autopsy. They're saying that he had a cardiac arrest in a hot tub and he drowned. But he had, so many times he had been close to death. His colon exploded, for heaven's sake. I mean, the man, the man lived. And it, it, it's sort of, I realise this is totally not to do with weddings, so I apologise. It's just really it's in the forefront of my mind. Um, he was so close so many times to dying and... I don't know if perhaps it was. It was just his body had get given up and he just had a heart attack and, and passed away. Um, perhaps he was had relapsed. I don't know. We don't know yet at this time of recording what happened to him. But I've just finished the book. I've just finished the memoir. And if you will, fast forward if you don't care. I, I get it. This is a little off-piste for me, but I just, I feel really touched by it. So I just wanted to read this small section of the last chapter of his memoir. Bear in mind that I'm reading this. Sorry if I get teary. I'm also mildly hungover. <laughs> I'm reading this. He wrote this alive, obviously. But I'm reading this after he's passed. As the light of day deepened and the ocean changed from silver to the palest aqua, the wave of gratitude grew until within the wave I saw faces and events and little bits of flotsam that had been moments in my eventful life. I was so grateful to be alive, to have a loving family. This was not the least of it, and perhaps the best thing of all, in fact. There, in the water's thin spray, I saw my mother's face and thought about her ineffable ability to step up in a crisis, to take charge and make things better. Keith Morrison once said to me, During all the four decades I've been with your mum, her incredible attachment to you has been the central part of her life. She thinks about you all the time. Way back in 1980, when things got serious between us, she said something I've never forgotten, Massey. She said, no one will ever come between Matthew and me. He'll always be the most important person in my life. You'll have to accept that. And it's true. There was never a moment I didn't feel that love. Even in our darkest moments... If something is really wrong, she is still my first call. I saw my father's ridiculously handsome face too, and it seemed appropriate that I saw him both as my father and as the old spice sailor guy, though that last image had long faded to a distant point on the horizon. I think about them withstanding being in the same room together when I was really sick, and what kind of love that betrays. They didn't belong together. I get that now. So I'd like back all the coins I've dropped into Wells, wishing that they were together. They both got lucky and married the people they were supposed to be married to. My sister's faces shadow my parents, as does my brother's, each of them beaming at me, not just at a hospital bedside, but also in Canada and Los Angeles, as I tried to crack them up with my patter. They never dropped the ball once, any of them. Never turned their backs on me, ever. Imagine such love if you can. Less profound, but no less thrilling, images gurgled up from the rolling waters. The LA Kings winning the Stanley Cup in 2012, me in row seven screaming at the second line to keep up the pressure on the boards, and my rather selfish thought that God made them wind through the playoffs in a year when they only made the playoffs in the last days. 
I had just ended a very long relationship and I'm quite sure the kings went all the way because God said, hey, Matty, I know this is going to be a hard time for you. Say something that will last three months and give you a tremendous amount of fun and distraction to make it better. Boom, it did. After charging through the playoffs like revenging angels of death, it was the kings over the devils in the sixth and the finals in that last game at the Staples Centre, a blowout in a Stanley Cup game unlike any in two decades. LA up four, zip, just a minute into the second period. I was at every game, even flying myself and some pals to the games on the road too. As the ice rink of my sports phantom slips back under the water, more faces appear. The Murray brothers, my dearest oldest friends, with whom I created a funny way of talking that eventually touched the hearts of millions. Craig Burko, Hank Azaria, David Pressman. How their laughter was once the only drug I needed. But I would never have met them, or gotten anywhere perhaps, without Greg Simpson casting me in my very first play. You never know where one thing will lead. I guess the lesson is, take every opportunity because something might come of it. Something huge came of it for me. I closed my eyes and inhaled deeply. And as I opened my eyes, I was surrounded by my friends. Friends without whom I would have started in something called No Friends. Schwimmer for making us stick together when he could have gone it alone and profited more than all the rest and deciding we should be a team and getting us a million bucks a week. Lisa Kudrow. No woman has ever made me laugh that much. Courtney Cox, for making America think that someone so beautiful would marry a guy like me. Jenny, for letting me look at that face an extra two seconds every single day. Matt LeBlanc, who took the only sort of stock character and turned him into the funniest character on the show. Each of them was just a phone call away. At the reunion, I was the only one who cried more than anyone else because I knew what I'd had, and the gratitude I felt then matches the gratitude I feel today. Beyond those principles, there was all the crew, the producers, the writers, the actors, the audience members, so many faces, churning into one face of joy. Marta Kaufman, David Crane and Kevin Bright, without whom Friends would have been a silent movie. Could this be more of a silent movie? The fans. So many fans who stuck with it and still watch their faces peer back at me now, mute as God, as though I'm still on stage 24 in Burbank. Their laughter which for so long gave me purpose, echoes still up these canyon sides, almost reaching me all these years later. I think about all the sponsors and sober companions and doctors who had helped me not screw up the greatest job in the world. I look out at the water and I say, very quietly, maybe I'm not so bad after all. And then I head back in for more coffee. It's sad, isn't it? So sad. It's a very, very good book. And I appreciate you indulging me and not talking about weddings for a second. Because it is, it's quite a big thing, actually. Especially for my generation. Friends was a huge deal. He was a huge deal. And, yeah. Very, very sad. Very, very sad. Anyway, in other news, holiday. <laughs> I'm just crying too much. The holiday is going great. My husband's doing that really annoying thing, right? where every time we go to a bar we've been to before, we haven't been here in a year, but every time we go to a bar, he goes, oh my God, hi, so good to see you again. They don't remember you. They don't remember you. <laughs> every time he says it. And they look at him like, oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm like, babe, they don't remember you. <laughs> what are you talking about? 
Not only, like, did he come here 12 months ago, but he looks like every Greek man in Cyprus. So I really don't think that he stands out from the crowd. Anywho, thank you for indulging me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode all about Tom and Tom's wedding. And I will see you all next week. Welcome. You're welcome. (laughs) I'm at a point now in my life where basically all of my uh, musical references um, are, are home to nursery rhymes and Disney movies. So, you know, it used to be, you know, I used to be quite cool, didn't I? And now, <laughs> now I'm a mum of a toddler. Everything goes back to bloody Moana and Elsa and Anna. Um, welcome to another story time. Because it's been all bloody summer since I've been on, on the old pod, I've just got so many incredible stories to share with you. And I just I was so lucky this season to have been allowed into these most incredible weddings and also hugely varied as well which is what's so one of the most fabulous things about what I do as a celebrant is that you get to go to all these different places and meet all these different people and it's so interesting for me to see how they have interpreted their wedding and how they have put their personal spin on things because at its core right a wedding is two people getting married so it's in in essence in its core it's all the same thing every wedding's the same but it's not obviously every wedding is completely different and it's so interesting to me to go to all these places and to meet all these people and see all these things and think oh god that's good and that's good and that's terrible and that's ugly what the hell were they thinking (laughs) because you know not everyone's not everyone's a winner (laughs) it all takes all sorts doesn't it People like different things. It's like when I was younger, and I'm sure I've said this to you before, but it's like when I was younger and I thought I was fat and horrible because, you know, a lot of the time I was. And I would say to my mum, I'm fat and horrible and no one's going to love me. <laughs> so sad. And she would, instead of coming back and being like, do you know what, Liv, you're not fat and horrible, you're beautiful and the whole world's at your feet and you know, it doesn't matter what you look like, but if it did matter what you look like, that's okay because you look gorgeous. That wasn't what she said to comfort me. She said, well, don't worry, darling, because there's someone out there who'll love you no matter what you look like. <laughs> and we'd be sort of walking down the street or driving through town. She'd be like, look, see, they found each other and pointed to hideously unattractive people. And that would, that was, that was meant to give me hope. It was so sweet. Parenting 101. Um, so today I would like to tell you all about the most wonderful wedding that, um, I've just done because this is pre-recorded because, you know, I'm a busy woman and I've not got time to do things fresh every week for heaven's sake. So, um, I want to tell you about this wedding. I've just done it. It was so wonderful, quite different for me. And I was probably one of the most nervous I've ever been before a ceremony and I'll tell you for why. So this weekend just gone, I attended, I worked and I attended as a guest for a wedding for my cousin. My cousin Tom was getting married and he was marrying a man named Tom. Tom, Tom, Tom and Tom. Thomas, Thomas, Tom, Tom, 
They refer to themselves as the Satnav Boys, which, I, do you know what, I'm embarrassed to admit I didn't get for a long time. <laughs> I think I made some joke to someone about, oh, I'm marrying my cousin and his, his fiance, and they're both called Tom. Because, um, you know, two Toms don't make, make a right. And I thought that that was clever. And then they were like, oh, like Satnav. I was like, oh my God, there we go. It clicked. It makes sense. So they call themselves the Satnav Boys because, you know, Tom Tom. Now, it it was exciting, obviously, because it was my cousin's wedding. I don't think I'm talking out of turn to say that we don't know each other that well, to be honest. We've not sort of, we didn't grow up together, so to speak. Um, but he's still my cousin and I still think he's lovely. And even though I don't know him that well anymore... Um, it was a real honour to be asked to deliver the ceremony. And then it was also just a real joy to get to know him better and to spend a bit more time chatting with him and his fiance Tom. <laughs> this is okay, right. This is we're gonna get onto this confusion. Let's say Tom A is my cousin and Tom F, because that's his surname against the name. Tom F is the fiance. So to get to know Tom F as well was such a joy because he is just, well, they're both wonderful. Just really, really lovely blokes, just really lovely people. Um, but I was nervous because obviously he is, Tom A is family. That meant therefore that my family were going to be there. So I had my dad there, my brother, my sister-in-law and my husband all attending as guests at this wedding. Also my godmother, because she's on that family side, uh, who I'm really close to. And obviously Tom's sister, Georgie, my other cousin, my auntie, Totty, his mum. And there were people there that, that, that it mattered to me what they thought. I mean, it, to be honest, if I'm being brutal, it matters what everyone thinks. A lot of me is still 16 and wants everyone to like me. Um, but then I say something or do something or behave a certain way. And I think that's why. They don't, and I don't care. <laughs> so it, instantly you've got a, a different level of pressure added because there are people like my, my, my people are there. My people are going to watch me. James, husband James, has seen me do a ceremony before when we, when I did the ceremony for friends of ours in Greece last year. Um, but that was a different, that was a totally different vibe. And as you know, each ceremony is different. So it was, um, it was a different style. And he, that was a year ago. And I'm pretty sure he was pissed when he watched that ceremony. So, and it was very hot, you know, the sweating and the, it was all very distracting. Um, so he was going to watch it. My brother and my sister-in-law, my sister-in-law, who is my best friend in the entire world. So it matters to me hugely what she thinks and what my brother thinks and my dad. Even though my dad has seen a ceremony before, because if you recall from last season, one of my favourite stories that I've ever told was the wedding that I had food, pays, food, food, poisoning, food, poisoning, food poisoning for. And can you hear the siren? That's, that's not because of my food poisoning. Um, and I had food poisoning for it and my dad had to drive me up. Do you remember? And it was a four hour drive and he drove me up and then he stayed for the ceremony. You remember? You remember? Are you with me? And he stood under a tree and watched the ceremony from the back somehow surrounded by all the prams, like a male nanny he did. Um, so he'd actually seen me do a ceremony before, but it was, again, totally different vibe, totally different ceremony. Um, so that was an added level of pressure because I had my family and my people there to watch me. Um, so I was nervous. 
And doing a same sex wedding is no different in any way, really, except that you do have, with any ceremony, you've got that pressure of like, don't um, say the name wrong or don't pronounce something incorrectly or whatever. Um, and because for no particular reason, but because 80% of my weddings are uh, for straight couples, for men and women, for brides and grooms, that's just that's that's just the way the cookies crumble. That's the way the thing has fallen. That's the way I need more metaphors. Um, that's just the way it's turned out so far. So that's sort of my instinct, I suppose, when I'm in wedding mode. So I, I, I am conscious of not saying the bride and groom when there's two grooms or he said, you know, when there's two brides. And I'm, I mean, I'm being silly because I've never have done it and I, I'm sure I would never do it, but it is just something to consider. Um, so that was one element of it. But also, not only was it a ceremony for two men, but they were two men with the same name. And that was very difficult to navigate. I'm told it went fine. <laughs> I'm told it went well. But and I hadn't really anticipated it before. I was like, I was thinking in my head, when I do the vows, I'll have to sort of look at them quite pointedly because, you know, it's you, Thomas, so-and-so, take you, Thomas, so-and-so, to be my husband. But I hadn't, even though I'd written the bloody thing, I hadn't anticipated how many times I would say the name Tom in one ceremony. And I was suddenly, the night before, we went to my parents' house and the night before I was reading through it all. And then I really started to panic. And I was like, what? It's, it's really difficult because there was 160 guests. So it was a big, big crowd, big crowd. Um, and it's not a case of a he, she thing. So there's two he's and they're both called Tom. And I have to somehow without sort of, you know, pointing them in the face when I refer to that Tom, I have to somehow make it really clear which one I'm talking about. And I was just totally getting into my head about it and it was really stressing me out. I'm not going to lie to you. I had the runs. So, you know, there's that. Um, <laughs> and um, and I kept telling myself, like, it'll be fine. And James and my parents and everyone were like, oh, you'll be fine, you'll be fine. I was like, yeah, no, I know. I know. Like, I know I'll be fine. That's not arrogance. That's just... I know that I will be fine. I know that I, I trust. I was going, oh my God, I was going to say something so wanky then. Shall I say it? No. Okay, don't hate me. Don't turn, don't tune out. I was literally going to say, I trust my craft. <laughs> what a twat. Oh God. Um. So yeah, like it wasn't, that's not me being arrogant. I knew I would be fine, but it was just the anticipation of it. And it was, and like I say, because it was my cousin's wedding and my family were watching it, it was really important to me that it wasn't just like good. It was, it had to be amazing. So that was, that was tricky. Um, I have my, I hold my folder, so I don't have any spare hands as such. So I was like, I can't really use my hands to gesture. Um, so it was, yeah, it was playing on my mind the whole time. Anyway, so the morning came and... Um, got ready. The weather, do you know, we've had, in because I'm pre-recording this, in September, we had this crazy heat wave, didn't we? It was so bloody hot, like too hot. And then suddenly it's autumn and the skies were grey and it was drizzly and all the rest of it. 
And I knew that we they were planning on having the ceremony outside, but I didn't know until I got there an hour before we were due to start whether it would be inside or out. And I didn't know the plan. And I didn't. I could have texted them or rung them to ask, but I was like, well, no, because that'll just stress them out. They're busy enough as it is and um, it doesn't matter, to, to be honest. I get there and I roll with it, whatever the outcome is. So we got there late, didn't we? Because of my dad. <laughs> and then it's like, pull over here, let me out. I've got to go. No, what if a car comes? I don't care if a car comes, but you'll get killed. I don't care if I get killed. It was all very dramatic. <laughs> so we get there and it is full on festival style. It's in my auntie's house in her garden in like a field. And um, there are teepees. So there's sort of, I don't know, maybe three or four quite large teepees all interconnected. It was really, really cool. And it had like chill out space and a lounge teepee with sofas and rugs and sheepskins, blankets and things like that and, and lamps and just really cool, chilled out vibe. Um, it, the weather was pretty, pretty risky, um, but they decided to have it outside. So I got there and they told me that and I was like, cool, cool, real fun for me. Because when it's like risky weather, a few droplets, fine. But if it suddenly starts to pour with rain and I've got 160 people looking at me, what the hell do I do? Like, that's my call. That's quite a big call to make. So I said to the boys before we went in, I said, look, that's it's outside. That's fine. At the moment, it's dry. And actually, the fact that it's overcast and a bit grisly, it doesn't make any difference. It's probably even better for the photos. Um, so I said, that's fine. If it starts to drizzle, we'll crack on. But if it does start to pour, I, no matter where we are in the show, <laughs> I will be calling an immediate intermission. And I will say, look, everyone, you know, run inside and we'll do it from inside because it's there's no point battling on when you're sitting in it, absolutely pissing it down. So they um, were fine with that. So we, we started everything off. I said to my dad and my husband on the way there, I was like, look, the ceremony was at three. I said, before 3.30, don't talk to me. Okay, I'm a consummate professional and I can't be distracted. Um, I say that I found my husband to hand him my handbag. And then um, 160 people outside, windy, and they had a mic but no stand. So that totally threw me because, like I said, I've got both hands on my folder and I can't hold a microphone. But with the wind and with that many people outside, there's no way the people at the back would have been able to hear me. Um, so that was a panic. Eventually, I found one in like their, I think my auntie handed it to me. It was in like their old music room or something. And then the mic didn't fit. <laughs> so luckily my husband, who's a very handy man, was there. So he was like, right, get me some tape, get me this, get me that. So I kind of, I basically, he was like my wedding bitch. And I just handed him the mic and the stand. I was like, babe, please, I, this is stressing me out now. Can you just fix it? And he did, obviously. Very handy. Not handsy. You're naughty. Um, and so that was fine. So we sorted the mic out. And then everyone sat down. And instead of, they'd already seen each other, the Toms. And so there wasn't like a big reveal. And so instead of one of them being at the altar, they all walked in um, together, the whole wedding party. There's quite a lot of them. It was like a parade, you know. So I was stood at the altar alone, where was me? And I did my, my spiel I often do about not taking any photos. And then the music starts and uh, Tom F walks in with his mum and then his 
ushers and then his bridesmaids and then Tom A's wedding party and then Tom A walks in at the back with his mum, which was really, really lovely. They um, chose to walk in with their mums for various reasons. Tom A's dad, my uncle, passed away a few years ago. And so pretty much straight away, we mentioned that in the ceremony because I think when a parent has passed, it's too big not to mention. It's too big to make a big deal of it, you know, because it kind of just makes you sad. Um, And I think, therefore, it's important to just sort of make a nice gesture and you say at the beginning of the ceremony and then you can just like put it to one side kind of thing. So we did that. They had also, they had a really nice idea because um, Tom F lost his best friend at university. He passed away. Really so awful. So what they did is they had a coat stand next to the floral arch right by the aisle so right where they were stood and they had um those that had passed they had some of their items hanging on the cloak stand which i thought was really nice because it wasn't just you know sort of literally speaking they had a piece of them there but metaphorically speaking it was almost like i don't know and i'm this is a bit sort of artsy now but i'm thinking like it's almost like they just they popped out do you know what I mean? Like they just pop their coat on the coat stand and they popped out and they'll be back. And I, it was just a really lovely personal touch, I think, that they did. And the ceremony, apart from the music conking out <laughs> as they walked down the aisle at the beginning, the ceremony went really, really well. The rain held off. Um, they, because it was a festival themed wedding, they'd made like wristbands that you get at festivals. So everyone was wearing those that said the Satnav boys. And one of them was wearing a, a slightly navy suit and one of them was wearing a like bottle green suit. And they'd suggested to their guests, that depending on which side you are, which Tom you're with, you can wear that colour. So that was really nice because a lot, I mean, I did and I wore bloody pink, didn't I? Because do what I want. But there was a lot of people wearing either blues or greens and it just looked really nice. Um and it's sort of, I suppose it's a conversation starter, you know, oh, so you're blue, so you're team Tom, whatever. Um, and then we had the drinks reception and it was really nice because on a completely selfish, narcissistic level, everyone was telling me how wonderful I was. <laughs> it was nice for my family to hear that. Like, I'm sure they think it anyway, but it was, especially for my husband, it was really nice for me to be like, this is what I do. And this is, this is why I love what I do. And, you know, the effect that that has on other people. So that was really, really nice. I did say right at the end of the ceremony that I was about to transform from celebrant to cousin and I could not be held responsible for my actions because, you know, this this girl can drink. So we had champagne and canapes and then we had, because it was festival style, they had like food trucks rather than sit down catering. So they had an ice cream van. They had a paella van, which was brilliant. And they had a cocktail van. So we were there for hours just chatting and and drinking and dancing. We had karaoke because Tom F. loves karaoke and he's so good. It was brilliant because actually no one was bad. (laughs) Did I get on the karaoke? I hear you cry. Yes, of course I did. Did I wait till I was two sheets to the wind? Yes, of course I did. (laughs) It was brilliant, brilliant fun. And the speeches were lovely and... The whole atmosphere was just really, really chilled and really warm and nice. And people were coming up to me and were like, oh, we haven't seen you since um, Georgie, Tom's sister, my other cousin, 
since George's wedding eight years ago. But I remember you. I was like, oh, Christ, all right, good. And we got home at a fairly reasonable hour. And then the next morning, James did that really fun thing that people do where they remind you of how drunk you were. You know, it's so sweet. When he's like, oh, um, babe, you got chatted up last night by like three men in their 60s. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Um, and they were dancing with you. Yeah, I know. I remember. And they were spinning you around and you nearly fell over because you were so drunk. Yeah, I remember. And I didn't almost fall over. It was a musical choice. And I spent the whole time saying like, yes, I remember. I didn't remember any of them. But I told him I did because I don't like the judgment. You know, you tell me if you've got a free bar and everyone telling you how wonderful you are, you're not going to take advantage. I don't think so. It was bloody glorious. I loved every minute of it. And it was an absolute honour to do it. And um, I know they're listening because they love the podcast. And I wish you a lifetime of happiness. And thank you so much for letting me be there for you. Welcome to this week's RSVP section. I have had the most gorgeous message from Rowena Nathan. Should I say your full name? I don't know. Um, she has DM me on Instagram and she has said, Hi, Olivia, I've just discovered your podcast and just loving it. I've binged it and all caught up already. Bloody hell, girl. <laughs> just love you being you and some very helpful tips. I'm currently planning my wedding for spring 2025, but I'm doing it from New Zealand, but back home in the UK and not sure I was prepared for the additional challenges. But your pod is so fab. So thanks. Thanks, babes. I think what you mean is that you're getting married in the UK, but you're planning it from New Zealand. If you want me to come to New Zealand, just say, I'll come to New Zealand. <laughs> Thank you so much. Sweetheart. Thank you for listening. I'm glad that you're enjoying it. Um, and if there's anything specific that you would like me to talk about, then please ask. In fact, any of you, I really, really want to hear from you all. So please get in touch. You can DM me at the I'll Marry You podcast on Instagram or not that Olivia Coleman. That's my professional, personal one. Um, but send me any questions, any queries, any anecdotes, any stories. I want to hear from you. I really want this section of the podcast to be all about you. Um, so keep listening. Get in touch. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening. It really does mean the world. If you find this podcast even remotely helpful or moderately entertaining, share with all your friends and family. You can DM me any questions, queries, if you want to share any stories on the podcast Instagram at I'll Marry You Podcast. Get in touch. I want to hear all your tall tales. See you soon. I'll Marry You is a podcast by Olivia Coleman. The music is Mr. Sunnyface by Wayne Jones and the show is produced and edited by Drew Toynbee.